for joining us. My name's Sam Daniels. I'm here with Ken Sugiura. Together we're the authors of Buying Property in the USA, A Foreign Investor's Guide. As the name suggests, it's a guide that tells you all you need to know to get involved in US property investment. So, Ken, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you, Sam? Very good, very good. Now, today we're going to talk about a little bit about the different types of distressed property in the US and um, go over some of the terminology, I suppose, that can be a bit confusing to investors first time. Now, tell us about, you'll see lots of words thrown about and when you look at US property websites, you'll see foreclosure, REO, short sale, and then people talk about homes that are flipped. Can we go over um, maybe from the start, Ken, and talk about what each of those terms actually means? Sure, Sam. Um, when you talk about dep uh, distressed housing uh, market, that's when, um, for example, if you're uh, a borrower, owner of the property, uh, makes uh, a monthly payment for, for your loans, um, but the economy gets really bad and you become unemployed and you end up um, being, um, you know, not being able to make uh, uh, monthly payments. And after a certain period, obviously the bank will take possession of the property ownership because the bank lent the money to you. Um, then that, at that point, the foreclosure happens. Foreclosure is a term that's been uh, to describe the property that's been sold or transferred after the original owner defaulted on their mortgage. So the ownership, um, as I said, it's, uh, is, has been passed on to the bank or, the, or any other credit provider that issued mortgage. And um, you know that, that that's the reason why we are looking at the U.S. market very closely because the thanks well due to the uh, um, the um, credit situations in in 2008 and uh, mm. a lot of people have become so-called bankrupt and then their properties are actually um, being foreclosed. That's right, and I guess that's the source of all the, the bargains that we're seeing over there and the only reason why this process makes sense. When the foreclosure happens, um, you know, there's an option for, uh, for, for anyone to be able to buy foreclosure properties, um, often through some sort of a, um, tender process or the auction process. Uh, this is a very difficult uh, process for foreigners to participate in, which I'll talk about later. Yes. Um, but before the foreclosure happens, um, people, uh, if you are struggling to meet uh, uh, the, you know, your mortgage payments, uh, monthly payments, and the lender sometimes uh, agrees to accept the list and the total value of the mortgage remaining in exchange for the buyers agreeing to sell the property and relinquishing the title. So the short sale could happen prior to the foreclosure and that's an, uh, that's an interesting window of opportunity for, uh, for us to buy uh, properties at uh, a relatively depressed price. Uh -huh. Now, now, what about, um, okay, so we've gone, gone through the what leads up to a foreclosure and how it's mostly distressed assets that we're interested in rather than the orthodox um, US housing market, which I think we've talked about before. So someone goes into foreclosure, um, I guess broadly we term that, that property a foreclosure property, and there's some sort of auction process run by the um, state. Um, and then if that 
fails to sell at the foreclosure auction, it goes to become an REO. Is that, that correct? That's right. REO is a post-foreclosure description of the state of the economy, uh, the state of the ownership. Uh, once the property is foreclosed, the ownership obviously goes back to the bank or issuer of the mortgage, not the original lend uh, the borrower of the of the loan. Uh, because obviously the borrower could not meet the de uh, debt payments, so the the bank takes possession of the uh, of the property, and um, and that's REO. It's, it's it's basically called real estate owned, which yeah. it stands for, but it's a, it's a kind of a confusing name because it's actually real estate owned by, by bank. bank yeah. Yeah. So the bank. That, that's also the stage, uh, the, you know, short sale is before the foreclosure and REO is after the foreclosure. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I guess we should point out the short sale is really a, an exit out of avoiding this um, situation. It. Mm -hmm. So it's where a lender will accept a, a price less than the average, uh, less than the total value of the loan to basically sell the property and the, um, out from under the borrower and yeah. um, to clean it off the market before it gets to this REO stage. Exactly. But we would say um, that, um, if I'm correct, that these stages are um, intervening and picking up properties at this stage is a bit hard for a foreign investor. I think, uh, you know, to monitor the situations of the properties and, and you know, the process of foreclosure from far away is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. I think unless you're uh, willing to live in that city or something for, you know, at, at the relatively, uh, you know, for, for a certain period. Because um, the other thing is that the foreclosure process is really uh, different from state to state. Yeah. Some states have a judicial uh, foreclosure process which takes the, a lot more time to go through the you know um, the court yeah. um, process and so on the other states uh, do not have to go through that lengthy process so it may be easier for for someone to find their foreclosure properties but overall this is really a very complex kind of a, a process yeah. and often the properties, I mean, you can imagine if you own the prop, uh, property but you stop looking after it because you, you, and then you're not making monthly payments, um, and the state of the, the foreclosure, uh, foreclosed houses uh, often uh, requires a heavy uh, rehab yeah. or renovation. Um, this, and as an investor, you have to be able to assess the, all the financials. I mean, how much money are you going to spend on renovating the yeah. property? And the return, obviously, you can expect from the rental markets, uh, or, or you know, when you on sell it to someone else, uh, that requires a quite a complex sort of uh, exercise of finding out about uh, all sorts of costs. And that we we tend to stay away from that process because mm. unless you're really advanced level. Investors, yeah. um, I think it's always better to wait for a local uh, so-called wholesaler yeah. to get in there and take the initial uh, profit uh, for buying those uh, cheap houses and then on selling to um, um, the next investors at uh, a reasonable profit. Markup, yeah. Markup. Sometimes which is disclosed, other times a buyer will refuse to disclose it. But 
What do you think? I mean, it's usually about 10%, isn't it? Yeah, 10 to 20%, I think, depending yeah. on the... the uh, and sometimes, you know, they try to aim at 20%, but they're not going to get even 5% because of the right. exit prices. But, I mean, I'm willing to pay 10%, um, you know, or 15% or whatever, mm. um, instead of flying over there and looking at all those properties in the foreclosure list and reviewing them before the uh, foreclosure uh, auction and then taking all this all sorts of risks of, yeah. of getting uh, rehab quotes and finding yeah. out about the uh, rental markets. Evicting the previous owner, Evicting. securing the yeah. property, yeah. So I, I think, yeah, we're looking at assets or houses that have been through a uh, one-stage sifting process whereby the wholesaler's been out there and looked at it, verified in their mind that they think it's a good deal and one that they can retail to people like us. Yeah. Um, the, the reality of it is that, yes, this means you're buying a so-called flipped home. Mm -hmm. There is a markup in there. But, um, you know, we shall see some people get hysterical about, you know, oh, I don't want to buy something that's flipped. Mm -hmm. But uh, we really think that the reality is that there's very few ways around that. I mean, you can buy direct from the bank, which mm -hmm. I suppose is another way to do it. But then you, you often you're putting in offers on homes, which you're not 100% sure you're going to get. That's right. And then the market dynamics have changed recently, I think, in the last 12 months. The, everybody knows that uh, bank-owned properties are very cheap. Yeah. Um, we also went through the process of trying to buy properties for directly from from banks. Mm. We put all those all sorts of paperwork to go through to make an offer, but we don't always, you know, there's no no guarantee you're gonna get those, those properties. So yeah. it's just the the hassle of going through all that process and and opportunity cost of not getting. The property, after all, I think it's just too too dire at the moment. So yeah. I would say, particularly in the current market, when market started to go up, mm. um, you know, ten percent or twenty percent even. I mean, on top of the on, on the very depressed prices, uh, it is. I still think that there's a lot of money to be made. Uh, by owning those property quicker and yeah. then, uh, without any hassle and uh, I think that I would be happy to give out 10% of my say, yeah. profit instead you know by give, you know having someone to do all that leg work or initial work so we, we're not buying in uh, so-called the primary market we're buying in from the secondary market yeah but I think uh, the market dynamics allows you to still make money in that in the secondary market. Yeah, and above all, it's a deal you can execute, isn't it? It's better to have a great deal you can execute than yeah. a fantastic deal that you can't mm. or you're not sure that yeah. you can execute. That's right. I think the market, if the market's still going down and you think that um, you have plenty of time, you know, up in your sleeves, but then there's a different story. But now mm. I think the, it is very clear in 2012 the markets in the US have definitely you know, start to move up. So you want to be getting in there quicker than, than later. Yes, okay. Well, that, that gives a bit of an overview. Now we should go on and talk about how we actually do it. So um, this is the one where some people's eyes pop out of their head, I suppose. I mean, basically what we do is we're finding a house on this secondary market, as you describe it, that looks like a good deal, but we're not going to the US. We're, we're going to buy it sight unseen. 
So some people are going to say, that's crazy. What, what do you say to that? Well, if it, you know, I think it's crazy to fly over to the US each time you find twenty or $30,000 house for sale. Yeah. I mean, you're spending five grand to go over there and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. So, I mean, generally speaking, my approach would be to, you know, my recommendation is that you, if you, you do all the, you know, macro homework and then you, you decide which cities or which markets you want to invest in, and you know when you have a holiday or a family holiday or or something, you you may want to visit the city just to get the feel whether you would like the city or you think that, that you, you feel that there's a dynamics in terms of economy and, and all that or employment data. Um, the situation is uh, foreclosure, number of foreclosures, yep. and then once you feel comfortable with with one market. You know, you might want to talk to some wholesalers in the market. You meet the people, and then, and then, then you know, you may want to see some of the properties that they're managing or they have, you know, they have them for sale. You don't have to. Once you do that, the big work. You don't have to look at each property that comes up for sale um, yeah unless it's something like a trophy style kind of a sign probably like over 50 more yeah thousand. depending on yeah. depending on how wealthy you are but if you i would you know i have looked at the property which is hundred sixty thousand dollars myself because it's that's a sort of mark you know you're talking about all cash 160 grand that's a lot of money to be investing yeah. in property i i wanted to see the property definitely you know? but if it's twenty thousand dollars house in 30 40 Detroit, or 30 or 40 50, i mean yeah. look do you bother to fly over you know and then if you understand the market you can probably um uh, get the feel and the other thing is that uh, there are a lot of ways to minimize the risk of buying property um, sight unseen such as using inspectors in, yeah. in property inspection companies and so on definitely we go over this in a later chapter sure. and there's much more information in the book but we we make sure that we do all the due diligence we can and the other important thing is to to buy from vendors you trust and you know we've been able to establish few vendors we trust in the US and, and ironically they're probably the cities that we're continuing to invest in. There might be other cities that are more compelling on a, um, pure economics or numbers but once you find someone you can trust we usually prefer to deal with them and what what sort of a vendor are we looking for typically what characteristics? Yeah the vendors um, obviously they're um, the there are many um, so-called wholesalers in the market at the moment, uh, but first of all, there must be some people who are very ethical, who you can trust, and someone who has a very good understanding of the market. Yeah. And the ideally, the, the people who are used to dealing with the foreign investors. Yeah. Because you know America is sometimes uh, often uh, very inward-looking uh, country, and they have you know often <laughs> they don't even know how to call you overseas. You know, so it's it's a bit difficult <laughs> to uh, engage with someone who who has never done business with foreigners or yeah. aliens. They call us right. So <laughs> so it's. Um, there, and then the other type of characteristic I tend to look for is someone who who is not just buying and selling houses. Ideally, someone who can do the rehab or yeah. at least can organize a rehab, uh, can also uh, manage the properties afterwards. So it becomes a one-stop shop. It's That's particularly yeah, particularly for the first 
few deals. I think yeah. it's best to go through, you know, whole, you know, one-stop shop so that you can really, you know, go with one guy and then, you know, get the property um, cash flowing and turnkey as as soon as possible. So that because after all, you know, you're not you're not doing a flipping kind of a stuff as a foreigner. You'd be doing a pretty much buy and hold. Yeah. And you need buy and hold strategy relies on the good management and good um, tenancy tenant uh, selection. Definitely. So, yeah. Good property management skills is is important for for the vendor. Uh, requirements I think and also in terms of finding the vendors I mean in most people most people listening in their home market there'll be vendors are offering offering US properties but often at very high markups and you know for some people that might work but for we prefer to deal with uh, a US vendor that's outwardly focused than someone in Australia or Canada or the UK or India or wherever who's retailing properties for a high markup Um, you know, we think it's better to cut out that middle person if you can. Yeah, I think the, you know, often in the home country you might find the so-called uh, wholesale. They're not really wholesalers; they're more so-called buyers agents. Yeah. So you pay them five thousand dollars to to get you in touch with some wholesalers in the U.S. Which that's, you can do that's anyway. That's the, the value add. Yeah. But once you find the wholesaler in the U.S., you you, you don't. Why do you need these guys anyway? Yeah. And then um, because they're often remotely controlling the the whole property purchase management process from Australia or Canada or any other places. So you know it's same positions you are in. So yeah. um, you know finding out. I think it's best to deal with the U.S.-based guys, and because you get the direct feedback about the market and about tenancy. Yeah, but, uh, but you know, changing dynamics in the market and one layer of costs stripped down. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, that, I guess you know, it's fair to say that the internet's your friend in terms of digging out vendors. I mean, it's just legwork, isn't it? It's like anything, you know, yes. asking questions, trying to nail them down, you know, um, building up a rapport to check how responsive they are, and then eventually, you know. Um, start to have them send some deals your way and if you're happy with one of them go. I, I think that uh, this is where we did a lot of trials and errors and yeah. ourselves and you know sometimes mistakes are very costly yeah and then other times um, you know it's a happy discovery about uh, great quality of uh, wholesalers you know so um, the one way to overcome that sort of risk is that once you find as, as uh, Sam you said that uh, once you find a good wholesaler slash property manager um, you just keep buying you know next property from the same person and they know the, the business your business to them is so important that they don't want to be able to you know they don't want to screw you so quickly yeah. or, you know and then if you have a so-called uh, group buying power like yeah. bringing friends and families and and and, and and buy more from them and they get natural incentive to be a, you know uh, treat you as a great regular customers yes and often that might lead to other benefits of getting some sort of discounts and on the insurance and management fees and a couple of other things. So I think that um, finding a first good wholesaler and then you just go with it and then if the more you confident confidence you gain in that person, the, you know, obviously you'll be naturally buying more property from the person and that becomes yeah. a very good, important, uh, good um, sort of bilateral relationship I think and then you know win-win situation with the win 
more business, we win more cash flow. So, yeah. yeah. And I think it's always good in, in approaching a vendor to imply that there's future purchases either through you or your buying group that would hinge on the result of the first deal so that there's not a, a tendency there to load the first deal up with costs and screw you um, and just move on to the next yeah. buyer. I think the most, uh, the current US situation is such that um, there are not many domestic American buyers, um, you know, who, who can um, execute so many deals because of the, the, obviously the economy, the state of the economy and also the banks in the US are tightening, yeah. still pretty tight on, on lending. So, I mean, if you're half smart wholesaler in America, you find some, you know, loyal customers in the foreign market who will bring in, bring in paying cash. Paying cash and who bring all the friends you know, to buy more. I mean, you have to be absolutely stupid to ruin the business relationship. Yeah. And then, you know, and uh, the, 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 there are a couple of issues you have to be facing, which is that, uh, you know, after all, you're a foreigner, you're not living there. So, hmm. you know, there, you know, your partner, local partner is your eyes and ears. Hmm. You know, you have to be able to establish a relationship that you can rely on that, that skills and, you know, and then once the um, you establish that relationship and you know you get some results coming from the from your cash flow so I think you you know within the first uh, three to six months you know whether the yeah. relationship is going on well or not and then you know if it's going well then you know you'd be tempted to uh, to buy repeat your business with that person if not you want to quickly uh, cut the loss and move on and take the business to someone else Definitely, yeah. And I mean, there are some, in the book we talk about, we offer a bit of a checklist about how to vet vendors and yeah. obviously most of them are licensed. So you do have some kind of right of recourse if mm. you think you're being wronged, less perhaps than an American because mm. you can't really initiate a court process mm. unless you want to fly over there. But, you know, happily that's never happened to us. Um, mm. You know, we might have had minor disputes with vendors, but not uh, nothing that's been um, so catastrophic as that. But look, we're running out of time, Ken, so that we'd probably better leave it there for today, but um, there's much, much more detail in this section um, in the book, and you know, if you're interested in buying it, the best place to find it is through the website, www.buyingpropertyintheusa.com and uh, we'll be back soon with uh, another podcast. Thanks very much, Ken. Much Thank you, Sam.